Wednesday morning, everyone. Today, we have a quick one for you, just over 10 minutes, and it's going to be a story that maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't, but it's a story that has affected John's life, and now he's going to share that with us. Some years ago, I had an extraordinary experience in which a young man changed the direction of my life. I had known him for a few years, but the experience I'm going to tell you about happened a few hours before he died at the age of 19. Uh, my early experience uh, as an academic uh, was very academic, but it had a side shoot that came as a result of my wife, and I ended up spending a good many years, seven in fact, uh, caring for, resuscitating, and working out with others the proper way to treat a 10-pound two-year-old. Uh, when I started that work, the death rate w was 30 or 40 percent. When I finished, uh, when we finished, in fact, we went through a hundred such children and saved every single one. That's profoundly satisfying. And it was very counterintuitive. It was real applied science. Then I ended up in Canada and uh, as a pediatrician and a biochemist. Uh, I looked around with the eyes I had acquired over the previous seven years and realized there was significant malnutrition in a first-class pediatric hospital but it was secondary to disease. And the question was, could I do anything about it? The first place I found a significant number of these children was in the cystic fibrosis clinic. Uh, 30 years ago, technically, a good percentage of children coming to the end of their life with CF were malnourished at the time. It wasn't a world vision uh, picture, no flaky paint skin, no swelling but simply not enough muscle mass to go with their body, and in particular, not enough respiratory muscle mass to keep them alive. And I wondered, can I do anything about that? So I jumped through the hoops to get ethical clearance, and I started. Uh, I simply sent a note round the clinic saying, I realize that the muscle mass of uh, CF children drops off with age, and it's part of the reason it's such a horrible disease. I want to see if I can do something about it, whether I can grow muscle in a CF child. And uh, the first volunteer was a 15-year-old boy who was a farmer's son. And uh, he uh, volunteered without even knowing what I was going to do. And I said, look, uh, I haven't even told you what I want to do to you. And you're volunteering. He said, I don't care what it is. If, if you'll get me some muscle, I'll, I'll do it. I mean, he had the body mass of an 11-year-old. He was 15, and he lived on a farm, and he couldn't even lift a small bale. He went out in the barn in the morning to cough and clear his lungs for the day, or start to. So I said, well, I, initially, I'm going to have to do it by putting a, no a tube through your nose into your stomach, and I need to feed you for at least a month. Given your cough, that tube's going to be reinserted at least 100 times during the month, probably. Can you handle that? And he said, Yep. And he did. He never complained. Uh, he, want, he wanted muscle like any teenager with none would want it. Uh, now, for him, it didn't actually work. But things were happening. I could see that we were on something that would work it, but it needed tuning. But halfway through the month, uh, I was called in on a Sunday because the nurse said, we've got so many admissions today. And Stephen's just coughed up his tube again. And... I, uh, we won't put it back till seven o'clock tonight. So if you want your protocol followed, you have to come and put it in yourself. I said, fine. Drove into the hospital, got to his bed. 
and uh, they'd put the things there ready for me. And uh, he looked at me and said, oh, you've been to church, because I was wearing a suit. I said, oh, yeah, uh, it was Sunday. I'd just come back from church when the phone went. And he said, uh, what church did you go to? And we found that I was a Protestant, he was a Catholic, and we said no more. Uh, we both appreciated British humor, uh, the dry and somewhat risque version like Monty Python. So we had that in common. We got on well. And this boy never complained about when he had a bad fit of coughing, the tube would come up. He didn't think anything of it. He got good at it. But the next day after that Sunday meeting, his amazing mother, who was going to lose three children to CF, stopped me in the corridor. And she said, you had an opportunity yesterday to talk to Stephen about faith, and you didn't use that opportunity. You should. You could do that very well. She had no basis for that statement, except me explaining what I was doing scientifically. She was a smart woman. She was right. I didn't know, and I didn't obey her. Um, for Stephen, he got 600 grams, not six kilograms, so it was a failure for him, but uh, we realized how to go about it better, and we did. And in a few years, it grew. Nowadays, if you go to any CF clinic that's any halfway decent anywhere in the world, and you lift the shirts of all the kids in the outpatients, about 20% of them will have what looks like a little plastic button on the skin, but it's actually an entrance to the gut. And it gives them several years longer life, but most importantly, it gives them energy right up to within six weeks where... The last two years of CF used to be miserable. Now they're not. That's a wonderful thing to be allowed to do. But uh, five years, four or five years after I started with him, uh, I was asked to go and see him in the middle of the day. And when I got to his room, he was clearly dying. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry to see you're so sick. What can I do? He said, sit down. I want to talk to you. We're well past the normal doctor-patient relationship. And then he said this. He said, it says in the Bible, if you ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. I'm 19 and I'm dying and I don't want to. What do you say? Now, I don't think there are many people who'd queue up to answer that question. Uh, I tried to escape. I said, Stephen, that, that, that's a difficult question. It will take a little while. And I got a lovely Monty Python answer, a little smile. And he said, I have a little while. Both he and I knew that his life was measured in hours at this stage. So I took a deep breath and I started going through the creeds because Protestants and Catholics share those. The problem was he believed it all, but it wasn't helping. He was not ready to die. His mother was there. She didn't say a word. This thing went, this went on for about half an hour or more. And I think she was praying the whole time. But I had to pray too, because when you're in deep trouble, Christians have a, a resource that other people don't have. It's a very simple prayer, help. And in my experience, when you're in trouble, that prayer is answered instantly on most occasions. Sometimes it's just to slap you down and say, stop being so neurotic and narcissistic, get on with it. But not in this case. Into my head came an American author, Annie Dillard. It turned out it was just a footnote, but it was the perfect footnote for this moment. She wrote... Oh, yes, God will provide for all your needs, but do read the small print. He decides what your needs are, not you. And I knew what to say. I'd already explained that there were children running on that ward who wouldn't have had the energy to walk but for him. 
Little boys were still managing to skate for a minute on Friday night, whereas they'd just have been watching. He had made a contribution to the quality of other people's lives, the like of which most normal mortals will not do. I said, I think what you've done, what you've made possible because of your courage, is amazing. And I think what God is saying to you is something like this. He's saying, Stephen, you've coughed enough. You have done all that I want you to do. Time to come home. Both you and I know that you're going to die in the next few hours. Can you, because you believe that God is good, also accept that that will be the best thing for you? Although that's hard to conceive at the moment. And there was a profound silence for a moment, and then he looked up and he smiled. I've never enjoyed a smile more. He said, thank you. That helps. I think I can. He died very peacefully a few hours later. Um, his mother sent me a note a little while, uh, a couple of weeks later, which I lost for years. It dropped out of a book not long ago. And I'd improved uh, the syntax a little bit, but not. I'd done nothing to what she said. She said, it was ironic that you were not allowed to give Stephen food for his body. But thank God you were there when he needed food for his soul. He had been asking that question of his priest, his family, his doctor, and everybody had pushed it away, saying, oh, you don't need to think about that, Stephen. Just enjoy what you can do, etc., etc." They didn't engage. I was the first and only person who did. Now, it wasn't for Stephen that this happened. It was for his mother and for me. He was going to have a much better answer than I could give in three hours' time. But his mother had to watch three of her children go through this process. It was very important to her that he died well, which he did. For me, it was a huge guilt trip. I had not had a conversation of that sort for, since the first year of medicine. I did it in the first few months, and then my faith had drifted away because we worked so hard. I never went to church, had no Christian fellowship. I'd always continued to believe the story was true, but it never had any output except in my family. And now I had to change, because I realized what I had said and done would be very unacceptable to many liberals. They would call it intrusive, etc., etc., etc. But of course it wasn't. Ask his mother, she's the best judge, and him. That smile alone was enough to shut up all the liberals. But. It meant that I, as a senior professor, had to model what needed to be done. And I began to do so, and the whole of my life was changed because of that young man saying, what do you say about what Jesus said? His words are amazingly powerful. There's nothing else in the world that's remotely like it. Thank you, Dr. John. Thank you for sharing that story. We hope you guys have enjoyed that. And if you feel like sharing it with somebody, go ahead. And with that being said, thank you guys for listening, watching. And if you want to see more and you want to encourage the podcast and the channel, then feel free to subscribe or leave a comment. See you guys next week.